0: Hi. Hi. Coming up on this episode, Alice Oseman joins us to talk about Solitaire, the book that introduced the Heartstopper universe.
1: Welcome to episode 420 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of queer romance fiction. I'm Will and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Jeff.
0: Hello, Rainbow Romance Reader, it is great to have you here for this episode of the show. As always, the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. If you'd like more information about what we offer patrons, including a monthly bonus episode that you'll find nowhere else, and the opportunity to ask questions to our guest, just like Rebecca does in this episode, go to patreon.com slash big gay fiction podcast. So this week's show kicks off our special series of Super
1: Summer bonus episodes featuring authors from across the queer creative spectrum. We're going to be having new episodes every single week, all the way through the end of June. We have an amazing lineup planned to take us through Pride Month, and Jeff, you've got a
0: couple of events to tell us about that are part of the Super Summer bonus episodes as well. That's right. We're partnered with Capital Books right here in our hometown of Sacramento for a couple of great author conversations. First up on Saturday, May 13th at 1 p.m., I'm gonna be in conversation with Lisa Bunker, discussing her collaboration with Kai Shapley, which is called Joy to the World. Now Kai, as you may know, is an 11-year-old trans activist who, until recently, lived in Texas. Unfortunately, they were forced to leave their home and has been fighting for trans rights along with her mother since they were five. So it's a pretty amazing story. Now they've collaborated with Lisa on this book about a young trans girl named Joy, who is also living in Texas and fighting for her rights to stay on the cheer team at school. I've had an opportunity to read this book. It's a great middle grade story that's inspiring and empowering, and I'm very much looking forward to this conversation with Lisa. And then just a couple days later on Tuesday, May 16th at 630 in the evening, I'll be talking with Anna Marie McLemore and Elliot McLemore. This duo has co-written a book called Venom and Vow, which is a fantasy about a kingdom that has all of the adults essentially have been locked into a sleep. We've got teenage rulers who are trying to sort things out. There's a lot of deception and miscommunication and things going on and a lot of intrigue as they try to put things back together again in the right way. But there's also a really delightful story between two members of rival royal families. Both of these people are trans and they fall in love with each other. Oh, I just enjoyed this book so much. Anna Marie and Elliot have really written some amazing characters here, so I'm excited to talk to them about that. And of course, Anna Marie wrote one of our favorite books of last year, Self-Made Boys, so very excited to meet them. Both of these conversations are going to be recorded and you'll get to hear them as part of Super Summer Bonus Episodes. And now, how amazing is it that we're going to kick off this eight-week event with Alice? Well, if your fans like us, Amazing doesn't even begin to cover it. I know, right? I got so into Heartstopper and all of it over the last couple weeks between reading Solitaire and we have now rewatched Heartstopper for, I don't even know how many times we've watched it now. I have to tell you, when the email arrived, offering the opportunity to speak with Alice, I freaked out. (laughs) I ran into Will and went, oh my God, look what just happened. And I'm happy to report that I did manage to keep my inner fanboy mostly in check during our conversation. We talk about the first US release of Solitaire, which is a story that focuses on Tori, who of course we know from the Heartstopper universe as Charlie's sister. This book was the first time the characters from Heartstopper appeared, and it was so great hearing from Alice how everything evolved from Solitaire, which was also Alice's very first book. Now make sure to stay tuned after the interview. I've got my review of Solitaire, plus we're gonna have an excerpt from the audiobook, which features narration by Jenny Walsler, who is the actress who plays Tori on the Heartstopper Netflix series. And now here's my conversation with Alice. Alice, welcome to the podcast. It is amazing to have you here with us.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: We're excited to celebrate with you as Solitaire makes its official U.S. debut after all these years. For folks who haven't discovered this book yet which is actually the first story in what we've come to know as the Heartstopper universe. Tell us a little bit about what this is about and how we meet Tori in this book.
2: So, Solitaire is this story of Tori Spring, who is the older sister of Charlie from Heartstopper. Tori is a 16-year-old girl. She's very pessimistic. She hates the world. She hates everyone around her. And she's very bored with her daily school life. But, one day at school, she discovers that this mysterious group called Solitaire have started to pull pranks in her school. And she meets a boy called Michael, who is very interested in finding out who is behind these pranks. And Michael is the complete opposite to Tori. He's super bubbly, quirky, cheerful. So it's through her friendship with Michael that she starts to question her kind of pessimistic view of the world.
0: You actually wrote this more than a decade ago now. What inspired you to take on this story and like the whole idea of solitaire and everything as this group?
2: Well, I mean, it was my first book. I wrote it when I was still at school and I I just wanted a book that, was about the world that i knew um, which was an all-girls school in kent in england i wanted to kind of explore what that was like and what i really wanted to write about in solitaire was the kind of like tori is dealing with some kind of undisclosed mental health issue she's very down and angry about a lot of things and I was feeling a little bit of that at the time as well, and that was kind of what I wanted to explore when writing that book. And the idea that, you know, finding your people can really, really help because Tori is so alone at the start of the book. She is solitary (laughs) and through, you know, her friendship with Michael, she starts to find a way out of that darkness. And the, the, the pranks and the the kind of the, the solitaire organisation, that's more the fictional part of the story for me, to be honest. That was kind of just the fun, mystery, detective part of the story that I had a lot of fun creating, but wasn't really based on anything that I knew from the real world. Um, the real world stuff was the school environment and Tori's kind of emotional journey.
0: The solitaire stuff is interesting. How it, without giving away any spoilers, it just ratchets up, ratchets up and to the point where you're like, oh my God, how is this happening? (laughs) Yeah. And I kept alternating like who I thought was behind it too. So I liked having the mystery while also really feeling Tori's journey. Because of course, I think all teens go through some version of that.
2: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's dealing with like, So when Solitaire first came out, everyone would just use the phrase teen angst because that is kind of what she is giving off. It's the kind of classic, you know, grumpy, moody, I hate everything. Like that's kind of the typical vision of teen angst. But hopefully Solitaire goes a little bit deeper and kind of shows that that is actually quite a serious thing that a lot of teens are dealing with and should be taken seriously and not just kind of, you know, shrugged at and laughed at as just a teenage thing.
0: This isn't the first time you've revisited Solitaire. There was a 2020 re-release that happened in other parts of the world. And there's a great interview with you and David Levathon in the back of this volume. And you talk about some of the edits you did in 2020, including labeling Michael as pansexual in that book. What was it like to revisit and what kind of led to some of the 2020 revision?
2: It's so interesting to read the old version of Solitaire and see the queerness of the book that I completely wasn't aware of at the time that I wrote it. One of those things being Michael. I think in the original version of Solitaire he he says something about you know oh, I like everyone you know it doesn't doesn't matter the gender like I could like everyone and I think at the time I wrote Solitaire I'd probably never even heard the word pansexual before when that was literally what I was describing there so it it is interesting to look at how I mean how quickly things have changed and how how you know how much more I know now and yeah I was really thankful that I got to make some of those small changes in the 2020 version, just to kind of update it a little bit.
0: And so much of it, though, seems timeless. It feels like some aspects of this, including Solitaire, could easily happen today. You know, especially with how the world's changed now, it seems more possible now than even 10 years ago. Solitaire is also Nick and Charlie's first appearance. And I absolutely love. I'll hold up the back cover for the folks who are going to watch on video. There's a little picture of them on the back cover, which I absolutely adore. What grabbed you about them to bring them to the forefront of what we've come to know as Heartstopper?
2: Well, in solitaire, Nick and Charlie are already in a relationship. It's a very strong, very loving relationship. They're so supportive of each other. And but we don't really learn much about their relationship outside of that. We don't know how they got together or what their kind of relationship journey has been up to this point. So after I finished writing Solitaire I had these two characters who I really really loved and I knew that they had a story, like I wanted to know what their story was, what their origin story was. So a couple of years after Solitaire was first published, I started creating Heartstopper, which was Nick and Charlie's origin story. And it's just kind of growing from there.
0: And Solitaire takes place in what we've come to know as Heartstopper volume four. And I have mm-hmm. to admit, as I was reading Solitaire, I went back to Heartstopper four, I went, what do I see in here about this? But other than seeing michael this is all tori's story because it's all happening at higgs and the boys are still at their school what was it like to go backwards and you know even pick up tori in a different time frame from where you'd written her in the first place it
2: was a challenge it really it really was a challenge figuring out how to show solitaire in heartstopper because they are such different stories they're so different in tone and some of the events of solitaire if i suddenly put them in heartstopper readers would be so confused (laughs) Mm. so i really had to think very carefully and choose carefully what parts of solitaire to put into heartstopper yeah, it was it was a real challenge. But one that I'm really I'm happy with the outcome with, um, you know, some people have questions, you know, they they ask me, why didn't you put this scene from Solitaire into Heartstopper? But I know that I made the right choice in which parts to put in there in to keep Heartstopper what it is as well and not turn Heartstopper into some kind of solitaire adaptation. (laughs) Um,
0: Yeah. (laughs) Because it's interesting. I actually, you know, because I went back to see if certain things, especially towards the end of solitaire, you know, had I forgotten those in foreign, it it all made sense to me in a lot of ways. And it's interesting to me how the two overlap, because without giving too much away for people who, for whatever reason, may not have gotten to Heartstopper 4 either. The Spring family has a lot going on because Tori has what's happening in solitaire, but also this is where Charlie's mental health, you know, it's been bubbling up through especially two and three, but he also has his things going on in four and it's, I feel for all of them, but I, and I love how you deal in the mental health space, trying to, you know, help these characters and keeping Nick and Charlie strong. It seems like a lot to balance between the two different stories.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And they are very different stories. You know, Solitaire is so much darker and it's it's a much more visceral look at what having a mental illness is like. Whereas the Heartstopper, the focus is always on recovery, you know, optimism and hope. You know, things are going to get better and we know that. So yeah, it's it's difficult to tell those two different kinds of stories about the same events. Essentially, you know about the same characters. You know that's just the challenge of it. And I I knew that that was going to happen when I when I started making Heartstoppers. So I had a lot of time to really think about it and and figure out how I was going to do that. So yeah,
0: mm-hmm. and especially going to the backwards material as well because you're not only sorting out Nick and Charlie, but also Tori. I feel like. Between the two, you know, the series of Heartstopper and, and Solitaire, we get to know a lot about Tori because things happen to her that obviously we don't know that lead her to solitaire, but she's a fascinating character in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, I I mean it's been really fun to show some like different sides of Tori in Heartstopper because in Solitaire, she's so kind of single-minded. She is like a pessimist. You know, she's so like frustrated and grumpy and like moody all the time. But in Heartstopper, she's also really funny and kind of sarcastic. And, and, you know, we're just getting to the point in the comic now, which will be in volume five, where we're kind of learning a bit more about Tori post solitaire. So we're going to find out, you know, what her kind of mental state is like after the events of solitaire, which is really interesting. And I'm really excited to kind of tell that story. So Yeah.
0: Yeah. I can't wait till we get to go forward in the universe because <laughs> <laughs> everything is like had its merge point and goes from here yeah. now. Yeah. I was really glad that you put of the advisory that you put in front of solitaire because having only read the heartstopper universe it was a significant like tonal shift do you ever think that you're going to visit that side of the universe again with some other story either on tori or some other aspects of that what's happening over there
2: i don't think i will ever write another prose Novel like a full prose novel about the characters from that from that universe. I think yeah, I I think Heartstopper will be you know the end of that story of, of those characters. But yeah, like you said, I'm I'm really glad that I put that kind of content warning into Solitaire. I I actually put that in in 2020 when it was re released because people who read Heartstopper first had been going into Solitaire expecting it to be. Heartstopper vibes, which is like happy and you know cheerful romance, joyful story, and then being very surprised <laughs> by the contents of Solitaire. So yeah, I'm glad I put that in.
0: <laughs> and the thing that I love so much that is Tori's through line, her fierce love of Charlie. You see it in mm. Solitaire. You see it in Heartstopper. I mean, she she's there for him regardless of what's happening for her. And I love that kind of family connection there. Was it important yeah, for you it, to it, kind of get that or did that evolve over time?
2: I mean, that that was kind of one of the key elements of Solitaire, which it, despite Tori's kind of a, a hard shell, she has this warmth and love for her brother. And that's clear from the very start. And for me, that is... of the symbol of hope for Tori, that she will find her way out of this kind of darkness that she's surrounded herself by. Yeah, I really, really love their relationship. And that's one of the fun things about Heartstopper as well, is showing more Tori and Charlie kind of banter and, you know, their support for each other, and Tori's funny little, you know, eye rolls and, you know, sipping her little drink. Um, Yeah.
0: Which now I know always is Diet Lemonade. (laughs)
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) In your creative process, how do you think about like Solitaire as a novel? Heartstopper was a webcomic and now it's, you know, published graphic novels. But then you've also had like the novella with Nick and Charlie. What kind of helps you pick the way you're going to tell the story?
2: It. I mean it depends it's that's a good question because when I when I decided I wanted to tell Nick and Charlie's story I first tried to plan it out as a prose novel because I I'd done that before you know I'd just written Solitaire and I thought okay this can be my next book but what I found with the story is that it just didn't fit into the structure of a novel it didn't have like the kind of gradual sort of beginning, middle, end structure that you normally get in a standalone novel. Nick and Charlie's story was a much more episodic story. It was about these kind of periods of their lives, and we're just kind of following them all the way through. There's no sort of clear middle point that you would get in a a normal prose novel. And that structure, for that reason, suited being a serialized webcomic that was kind of ongoing much better. So that was kind of the route I decided to take that.
0: But they have had their novella moment with Nick and Charlie, which also plays with the timeline again, because you jumped a little bit forward there. Does that book sit, I know it's definitely after four, does it kind of timeline-wise even sit where after what eventually will be volume six?
2: It will be current plan is it's going to be during the events of volume six. So like solitaire, it will be referenced, but we, I won't be just retelling the whole story because that's pointless.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. I love how you play with the timelines. What prompted like Nick and Charlie to get told as a novella at this point in, you know, just what we know of the story?
2: Well, it all comes down to when I wrote these things. So Hmm. Nick and Charlie was originally published in the UK in 2015, which was after Solitaire, but before Heartstopper. So I had Solitaire and the Nick and Charlie novella before I started making Heartstopper. So, yeah, it, 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 it just kind of happened that way.
0: Just so cool. You just go backwards and forwards. You're like your own little like <laughs> jumping timeline. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Heartstopper Five. Folks in the UK are lucky you get it in November as opposed to us in the US who are waiting until December. <laughs> what can you tell us about what we're going to get in five?
2: Yeah. I, so many things. So we, so kind of two, two sort of, things are going on which nick is kind of getting to the point where he start he needs to start applying to university so he is kind of starting to think about his future but has no idea what he's going to do and he wants to stay close to home so he can stay close to charlie but isn't sure if that's the right thing to do so he's got a lot to figure out meanwhile charlie is he's been working really hard on his mental health and he's kind of trying to find confidence some self-confidence in various things like he is thinking about applying to be head boy at school he might be joining a band because we know he plays the drums and also Nick and Charlie are thinking about taking their relationship to the next level physically so that's something that we haven't yet explored in Heartstopper. So yeah, there's lots, lots to come in volume five. I'm very excited.
0: Going to be a Christmas present to myself <laughs> come December. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, just a couple of weeks ago, we got the great news that Heartstopper season two comes to Netflix in August. What's it been like bringing the webcomic literally to life on the screen so far?
2: it's been an amazing experience i I think i've been so lucky compared to a lot of other authors who've had book adaptation experiences my experience has been so positive and i've been really involved in the whole thing you know I've, i've written i was i was the writer of the show my executive produced so i was involved in all of the creative decisions yeah, I, I've enjoyed it so much and I'm so happy with how it's turned out. I'm really, really excited for season two. I can't <laughs> wait for everyone to see it.
0: We've got a member of our Patreon community, Rebecca, who's a huge fan and has loved and watched the show multiple times. But was kind of curious what it's like to adapt the graphic novel to television. Because there's, I mean, there's clearly some things that are different. I mean, just off the top, Charlie no longer has Oliver <laughs> as his younger brother who we've never seen. How yeah. do you like make the choices of what gets to the screen and what gets to the screen You know, matching the book perfectly in some cases, but then in other places taking the turn?
2: Well, I mean, firstly, I think Heartstopper is a very faithful adaptation. I think we really tried hard to make it very faithful to the books. And usually we were able to achieve that, which was really exciting. But yeah, there were definitely some choices that were different to the books. And it really just depends on what that thing was. So, you know, for, for, for Oliver, the, I felt like, so the reasoning is, if we casted, you know, a seven-year-old to play Oliver for season one, by the time we got to season two, he would, he would have grown <laughs> a lot. And he would no longer look seven years old. And it would be very difficult to kind of keep that continuity if we had a very young child actor. And also Oliver doesn't really have much to do in the story. So if we kept him out of the story, we could have more stuff for other characters. Yeah, so I know lots, lots of people were sad about that, but um, I do think it was the right decision. Yeah.
0: How was it to go to Paris for some of the season two shoot?
2: So cool. Yeah, I'm I'm still so excited that we got to do that. It was very stressful. It was a very stressful filming experience filming in public in Paris in like a super busy city is <laughs> just I, I mean, I, I can't believe it, it was even possible. But somehow we, we managed to film everything. I think we were there for ten, nine or 10 days in total. Um, and we managed to fit almost everything in that we wanted to film. Um, and it looks amazing. Like it, it, it's, it just looks so amazing in the show. So I'm I'm really happy that we got to do that.
0: Excellent. And are you working on scripts for three already?
2: I will be soon. We've just kind of started like the planning, you know, figuring out what's going to happen, figuring out all the storylines that are to come. So I will have to start writing those scripts very soon. Yes. Excellent.
0: Excellent. Is there anything you can tease us about what else might be coming next for you beyond like Heartstopper five and series two and things like that? What else is on the horizon?
2: Honestly. That, those are the only kind of writing projects that I have right now. I'm very like in Heartstopper world completely right now. I mean, I will have some more of my books re-released. I won't say what yet, but in the US and in the UK, there will be some very cool new editions of my previous books that are going to be released this year and next year. So very excited for that.
0: Now, we love to get recommendations for our listeners on what to watch and what to read. What's caught your attention lately that our listeners should check out?
2: Oh, my gosh. I mean, my number one TV recommendation is What We Do in the Shadows. It's my favorite show of all time. It's, it's a mockumentary about vampires in New York. It's so good. It's truly like nothing else. And it's so queer as well, which I love. So that's yeah, that's that's my recommendation
0: for sure. Yeah. I love that you bring that up. We're actually in the middle of a rewatch right now. We're in middle of season three. They just went to Atlantic yes. City in the episode we watched yesterday.
2: Perfect. It is so brilliant. I, love
0: <laughs> I think there's a new season coming later this year. Oh. So that'll be pretty brilliant.
2: Hopefully.
0: Yeah. And what is the best way for folks to keep up with you online to keep track of everything that is coming out, like those re-releases?
2: Yeah. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm just Alice Osman, or you can go on my website, which is aliceosman.com.
0: Perfect. Well, Alice, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for bringing us this wonderful universe of Heartstopper and putting solitaire out here in the U S officially as well.
2: Thank you so much.
0: This episode's transcript has been brought to you by our community
1: on Patreon. If you'd like to read the conversation for yourself, check out the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com. We've got links to everything that we've talked about in this
0: episode. And thanks again to Alice for joining us and telling us all about Solitaire and what we have to expect from the Heartstopper universe. I can't wait for this fall to get both the second series from Netflix, as well as volume five of the graphic novel. I have to tell you, I really enjoyed Solitaire. It was interesting to go backwards and forwards a little bit in the series in some ways. As I said in the interview, I had not read Solitaire at all. Even though this is the first US release, the book's been available to get in the US, but I had not picked it up yet. So I'd only done Heartstopper one through four and there are hints to it in here, but nothing overt to tell me that I'd missed anything in the story, but it's been interesting to now see Tori in a totally different light. As we talked about in the interview, this book is a little bit darker in tone than what we are used to in Heartstopper. Tori's going through a very rough phase and Alice does an amazing job of putting us right there in Tori's headspace as she's grappling with feeling very alone and isolated and not really having any friends. It's really awesome to see. Both kind of the pull that she has towards Michael, but yet how she pushes him away at the same time and how they eventually resolve to be friends and to get through the world together and also figure out the solitaire thing. I really enjoyed that kind of mystery aspect of who was behind solitaire and what were they going to do next and to watch the school be befuddled about how to deal with the solitaire thing because it was really challenging the authority of the school, if you will, and as it grew, it even grew to taking over events outside the school. Like I said, you could even envision this happening more easily today in the social media world that we live in now than the way that social media was more than 10 years ago when Alice originally wrote this book. It's also interesting to see, of course, the rest of the Heartstopper characters. Nick and Charlie are on page. I would say quite a lot. As I mentioned in the interview, and I still don't want to give too many spoilers for those who may not have picked up Heartstopper 4, Charlie's dealing with a lot in Heartstopper 4, which has been building up through 1, 2, and 3. And that is represented pretty well in Solitaire because Tori is very concerned for her brother. But you also get little moments of Nick and Charlie that Tori witnesses that you don't get to see in Heartstopper. And you can see right from the beginning the strong couple that Alice made them into being. There's also some pretty good comeuppance in this particular story as Ben Hope, who we know as being one of Charlie's tormentors, actually has to pay for some of what he's done to Charlie. So that was pretty interesting to see as well. Yeah, if you're a fan of the Heartstopper universe, you should definitely check this out. But as we talked about in the interview, mind the content warning, because this book is a different tone. So you just need to be in the right headspace for that. But it's really amazing to see Alice's storytelling in play here, which even in this first book is so, so strong. And this is my first full novel of hers to have read. Definitely gonna have to go pick up some of those other ones that she's got out there that are outside of the Heartstopper universe because I love the way that she tells stories. She gets so into character details and I love that so, so much. So not unsurprisingly, I highly recommend Solitaire, and of course, the rest of the Heartstopper universe as well. And don't forget to stay tuned. We'll have the audiobook excerpt for you coming up in just a couple minutes.
1: All right. I think that'll do it for now. Coming up next Monday, we're going to catch you up on absolutely everything that we've been reading and watching lately.
0: We've got quite a few books and shows to tell you about,
1: so you're not going to want to miss it. Thank you so much for listening and we hope that you'll join us again soon for more discussions about the kinds of stories we all love, the big gay fiction kind. Until then, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Original theme music by Daryl Banner.
0: And now we're excited to present this audiobook excerpt from Solitaire, written by Alice Osman, and narrated by Jenny Walsler. This audiobook is text copyright 2023 by Alice Osman, production copyright 2023 by Scholastic Inc. And it's presented here by permission of Scholastic Inc.
3: Scholastic Audio presents. Solitaire by Alice Oseman. Read by Jenny Walser. I am aware, as I step into the common room, that the majority of people here are almost dead, including me. I have been reliably informed that post-Christmas blues are entirely normal and that we should expect to feel somewhat numb after the happiest time of the year. But I don't feel so different now to how I felt on Christmas Eve, or on Christmas Day, or on any other day since the Christmas holidays started. I'm back now, and it's another year. Nothing is going to happen. I stand there. Becky and I look at each other. Tori, says Becky. You look a little bit like you want to kill yourself. She and the rest of our lot have sprawled themselves over a collection of revolving chairs around the common room computer desks. As it's the first day back, there has been a widespread hair and makeup effort across the entire sixth form, and I immediately feel inadequate. I deflate into a chair and nod philosophically. It's funny because it's true. She looks at me some more, but doesn't really look, and we laugh at something that wasn't funny. Becky then realises that I am in no mood to do anything, so she moves away. I lean into my arms and fall half asleep. My name is Victoria Spring. I think you should know that I make up a lot of stuff in my head and then get sad about it. I like to sleep, and I like to blog. I am going to die someday. Rebecca Allen is probably my only real friend at the moment. She is also probably my best friend. I am as yet unsure whether these two facts are related. In any case, Becky Allen has very long purple hair. It has come to my attention that if you have purple hair, people often look at you, thus resulting in you becoming a widely recognised and outstandingly popular figure in adolescent society. The sort of figure that everyone claims to know, yet probably hasn't even spoken to. She has a lot of Instagram followers. Right now, Becky's talking to this other girl from our lot, Evelyn Foley. Evelyn is considered alternative because she has messy hair and wears cool necklaces. The real question, though, says Evelyn, is whether there's sexual tension between Harry and Malfoy. I'm not sure whether Becky genuinely likes Evelyn. Sometimes I think people only pretend to like each other. Only in fan fiction, Evelyn, says Becky. Please keep your fantasies between yourself and your search history. Evelyn laughs. I'm just saying. Malfoy helps Harry in the end, right? So why does he bully Harry for seven years? He secretly likes him. With each word, she claps her hands together. It really doesn't emphasize her point. It's a well-established fact that people tease people they fancy. The psychology here is unarguable. Evelyn, says Becky. Firstly, I resent the fangirl idea that Draco Malfoy is some kind of beautifully tortured soul who is searching for redemption and understanding. He's essentially a massive racist. Secondly, the idea that bullying means that you fancy someone is basically the foundation of domestic abuse. Evelyn appears to be deeply offended. It's just a book. It's not real life. Becky sighs and turns to me, and so does Evelyn. I deduce that I am under pressure to contribute something. I think Harry Potter's a bit shit, to be honest, I say. Sort of wish we could all move on from it. Becky and Evelyn just look at me. I get the impression that I've ruined this conversation. So I mumble an excuse and lift myself off my chair and hurry out of the common room door. Sometimes I hate people. This is probably very bad for my mental health. There are two grammar schools in our town. Harvey Green Grammar School for Girls, or Higgs, as it is popularly known, and Truham Grammar School for Boys. Both schools, however, accept all genders in years 12 and 13, the two final years of school, known countrywide as the sixth form. So, now that I am in year 12... I have had to face a sudden influx of guys. Boys at Higgs are on par with mythical creatures, and having an actual real boyfriend puts you at the head of the social hierarchy. But personally, thinking or talking too much about boy issues makes me want to shoot myself in the face.